Welcome to the 11th episode of the second series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to a senior woman from the Insights world about how to use CX Insight and Metrics to drive action. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She started a career working in public sector research before moving into customer experience seven years ago. She's held a number of senior marketing and commercial roles within CX agencies and is currently the commercial director within a leading CX consultancy arm of Kantar. She's a regular speaker and judge within the CX industry and is passionate about showing the benefits of delivering exceptional customer experiences. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Chloe Woogler. Hey, Chloe. Hi, Claire. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you doing today? Yeah, really well, thank you. Super. Well, I well, like the Christmas tree. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I think you're going to be the episode just before Christmas, so. <laughs> very good. Have you, you got your decorations up? Yeah, looking very festive in this house now. Yeah, yeah. Because um, well, I'm going to be spending Christmas by myself. I think I've got a bit overboard because... Oh. My lounge now resembles some kind of grotto. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, I put the Christmas tree up and I was just like, oh, I could just do with some little lights over there. So I went and bought some more and then oh, maybe that corner as well. I literally allow like, my whole lounge is like starts with the grotto. <laughs> That's amazing. It's going to bring you so much Christmas cheer. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I quite enjoyed it. So turning the big lights off, putting the fairy lights on, watching Christmas films, got my own little desk. Perfect. Oh, <laughs> lovely. Well, anyway, welcome to the Women in TX podcast. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be here. And welcome to all the listeners too. So I'm really excited to have this conversation today because we've been talking about doing it forever, haven't we? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, Um, no, I've been so um, inspired by following what you've been up to on this as well. So great to be here. Amazing. And today we're going to have a conversation about how uh, insight and metrics can help to drive action in business and also hear a bit about your career story. Is that all good? Perfect. Sounds good. Super. So let's start there then. Please can you tell us about your journey into customer experience and how you ended up becoming the commercial director at Kantar? Yeah, so um, I started my career working in public sector research, actually, which was great because it gave me a really good grounded base of how to handle large public sector uh, style programs um, and also generally what it's like working for with large organizations so um, I was working at Chime at the time so Chime Communications um, and they started a CX agency um, which started out as one person and then the MD quickly built it up to a successful agency and that was really great to see a business grow from scratch um, and sort of where they got to in terms of, you know, 20 people um, at, at one point. And then that's where I came over. They needed that sort of dedicated marketing and new business support. Um, mm. So that's where I fell into my career of CX. Mm, I'd always felt really passionately, though, that, um, that that consumer feedback and really, you know, understanding what consumers were feeling about an interaction needed to be gathered in real time. So it was always something that as soon as I started out in research, I was really mm. excited by CX. Okay, so that's a bit of a combination then of the actual practical insights and application and also business development before you 
headed off to Kantar. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, I think the CX landscape went through a huge change, didn't it? I mean, it went through a huge change through throughout probably from about 2011 um, to where we are now. But definitely between 2013 and 2015, it, I mean, it was drastic. Brands all of a sudden wanted to move away from that traditional method methodologies like Postal and Catty um, and real time really became the number one priority. So, yeah, it was a really exciting time for me. Mm-hmm. And what are you seeing out there at the moment in terms of insight trends? Are we ever going to get away from MPS? I'm just going to ask oh, the question out. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think not. And I've got lots of views on metrics, which we can explore later. But yeah, mm. I think it, there's a definite need for there always to be more than just MPS. You can't, as a brand, rely solely on MPS. And, and other metrics absolutely have got to come into the, mm. into the fold. Mm. And I've really seen that, actually. So I joined Kantar in 2019. Um, and it had really been an agency that I'd had my eye on for a long time. Mm. And I'd been speaking to mainly because I saw them at lots of conferences and you know you and I go to a lot of conferences Mm. all the time and I was so impressed by their client list and thinking wow they're really sort of leading the CX space in terms of the brands that they're working for so um, yeah it had been a company I've been looking at for a long time and then had quite an interesting interview process actually sort of a few glasses of wine with uh, with the MD and then a couple of more formal interviews and I was offered the role so haven't looked back since. Oh amazing. Um, and tell us more about these glasses of wine then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You met kind of informally first and then... Yeah, so we knew each other sort of from that conference circuit as we sort of had and sort of known each other for a couple of years. And uh, yeah, then sort of we had that we had that conversation and um, it was that sort of point when I I really knew, you know, when I sort of heard their sort of full client list and things like that, that I was really excited. And, And look, I've been given some incredible opportunities within Kantar sort of to help raise my profile within the CX, CX space, but also yeah. sort of the capabilities that Kantar has. So mm-hmm. it's been great seeing how a big agency works. And, and definitely mm-hmm. for me, one of the key things that stands out, I mean, there's lots of different things, but is always having something to say. I mean, we collect data about so many different interactions mm-hmm. for our thought leadership and across the whole of Kantar that we've always got a wealth of data to take to our clients, which is mm-hmm. really impressive. Okay, so I guess for anyone who's not familiar with Kantar, could you just tell us a bit more about what you do? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. So, uh, so Kantar are a data giant. Uh, you know, they cover uh, lots of different uh, spaces, but predominantly um, I work within the insights part, um, which has a big CX agency, which is where I'm part of. But we've got lots of other uh, parts of that. So brand tracking, we've got um, innovation, media. Um, so it's a sort of a really broad spectrum um, of what it covers within insights. Mm. I always remember when I worked at Sainsbury's the Kantar data was the thing we'd always be waiting for um, because that had the biggest impact on our numbers but that was like a benchmark comparison between the big four grocery retailers yeah that's it yeah so that's through our retail practice which is really which is still going very strong and we've got then our world panel data which collects uh, millions and millions of shopper data as well which is really interesting so it's having all that data that you can you can take to clients and sort of showing that sort of understanding of their business and their market um but you know before even a conversation is really exciting okay and is it like would you say it's a data and software company or 
So um, to an extent on the CX side, we, we work with Qualtrics and Medallia as our two partners um, for software. So we don't uh, we don't have our own CX platform, mainly because and we'll definitely come on to talking about this later, I'm sure. But there's a huge divide between, yes, the software is an absolutely an enabler of mm -hmm. you know helping you gather feedback. But it's definitely not the thing that drives action. Um, so we're very much in that action oriented space. And that's why we've got these sort of global partnerships with Qualtrics and Medallia so that we, we've got that feedback um, that we can, you know, that feedback platform that we can take to our clients, but we, we, you know, have that data and that grounded in terms of driving action. Okay. And um, what were those environments like to work in these big agencies and insight companies? So they were really good. I mean, I've spent quite a lot of my time networking as you have, so, you know, on the conference circuit and there's definitely something sort of more more male culture orientated that's associating with networking as you've probably seen as well so um that more sort of relationship building in the commercial world it is definitely sort of tailored tailored to men i feel mm. so um you know whether that's staying for beers or going for a curry after a conference or meeting um but definitely sort of being more inclined to identify those bonding activities which which i'm really keen to do and although you know probably maybe more so when there's sort of champagne involved um but there's definitely an element of them being sort of more tailored towards towards men and especially you know as a mum with with two children sort of them maybe having that perception that I can't do those things mm -hmm. um which of course is in fact untrue um mm -hmm. you definitely need sort of a supportive network around you um to be able to do them but but absolutely something you know that I I really enjoyed doing so yeah I've seen that perception but I think definitely when I think about it from a sort of female perspective and sort of from you know having two small children as I said um something that stuck with me was was something I was told by one of the senior leaders when I was working at Chime actually was she said you know absolutely you need to be doing all of these things you need to be seen but limit your limit your evenings out to no more than two a week so that you can okay. spend enough time at home with your family and things like that which which of course I've done so Although I want to be really successful in my career, obviously, you know, you need to have a good balance between family there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember my days working in business development, but I've always worked in CX, so they kind of wheeled me out to potential clients as, you know, this 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 girl's going to help um, explain to you why you should choose us because of our skills and customer experience and service and what we could do for you. This is like B2B sales in um the service industry so uh, hospitality reception services that kind of thing and there was a lot of drinking went on <laughs> <laughs> there really is yeah, yeah there is there is so it was like um client entertaining <laughs> which yeah. always came with food food and a lot of booze food, but, drink. yeah I was in my early 20s at that point though but I don't think I could handle it now <laughs> yeah I know you do have to definitely take a little bit step back the older you get I've definitely found that yeah. but you know on the whole I've seen it as a very sort of a very friendly landscape and you know it was obviously quite male dominated especially in the tech space as well um but I, I think you know they don't exclude women um there's there's no danger of that I've probably actually had one or two cases where where women have been slightly less friendly actually yeah. and I suppose by that I mean not being inclusive or helping other people to develop and grow and it is rare but I mean something I've really stood by is is making sure your career is only a success if you've taken other people on that journey so I've always been really committed to helping and growing other people's talent as much as I can and 
been you know I've had some amazing mentors over my career as well who've really helped me work out things like values and and what I want to achieve and and both men and women and and some of some of the men have been been really genuinely supportive and great role models that have encouraged me to achieve my goals and definitely my current MD is is one of those now and I actually think um, him having a female CEO is a huge part of that as well so you know because he reports into a female he really he gets it he understands it and he doesn't have any of those perceived perceptions about you know my networking capabilities to stay out you know until the early hours or things like that when needed with clients. Yeah okay so you've got a female CEO at Kantar. Yeah, we have. Yeah. So um, she's worked her way up through Kantar, actually. So she's incredible. And uh, she's been a real inspiration to me. She's really, really good at being, you know, inclusive in terms of in terms of what she wants from the workforce, but also in helping, you know, helping our clients as well. So she leads lots of our work around, um, you know, women in finance and things like that as well. Mm -hmm. Lots of our thought leadership. So, yeah, it's been great to work for a women CEO. Mm, yes not many of us get the chance to do that hey <laughs> no exactly and that's the point you know as I said to you I've, I've seen so many examples of, of people trying to help people and you know we, we really do that but um you do get the one or two which which I think you just need to remember goodness your career is a journey and you know for you and for everyone else you need to take people on that journey with you yeah I think that's one of the things I'm most proud about building the community for women in CX is being able to shine a light and really easily help and support each other but I think networking is so important um and now we can't go to conferences Uh, (laughs) yeah absolutely it's not the same online like going to an event you don't you don't get the FaceTime I know that people have been setting up like little zoom rooms to have conversations but it is not the same so it's not the same no finding ways to network outside of the traditional conferences and events depending on what happens with the vaccine next year uh, long may it continue um, yeah. having, you know having those um, having having more deep conversations I guess but it, for me it's relied upon feeling brave enough to reach out and ask questions ask for someone would you mind spending 30 minutes to have a conversation with me and building the relationship outside of the traditional channels and I know since the pandemic I know so many more people on a much more personal level because of zoom and being able yeah. to have zooms <laughs> yeah, yeah um, absolutely and I, do you know what I think those behaviors will stick Claire I really do yeah I think we'll go back to live events and I'm, I'm really rooting for that actually because I think yeah. there's nothing the same as standing having a coffee or you know being able to sit and have lunch with someone so really rooting for live events to come back in that sense but mm. I don't think we'll be at any you know as the same level as client meetings as we were um mm. you know before the pandemic because you know it works doesn't it you you've yeah seen that it really does work yeah yeah I, I think I think in comparison to before the pandemic I'm far more connected with people in the CX community because of the pandemic yeah. <laughs> and because we all started to have like zooms and whatsapp little groups and um and that kind of thing so yeah I agree with you networking is really important especially for women yeah absolutely and you know build your network as well which you know you know you you've done so well at doing but you know make sure that you've built your network and and don't just rely on people sort of in the same field as well I've definitely seen that where I've sort of you know came originally from you know a large group that had an advertising agency having that background's really interesting and you get some really good connections across lots of different fields which is really important Mm, yeah good advice 
Um, so I think I'm just going to jump into this, the questions around the metrics then, yeah, as we keep alluding course. to them, I'm sure the listeners yeah. are, are, are aching to know what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> so there is a lot of debate in our industry about CX metrics. Um, I have made no secret of the fact that I think it's become a problem how we've obsessed, so not me personally, but businesses have obsessed with the, the metrics and the measurement side and have not focused on the action. So I'm interested to know, because I'm not saying metrics are useless, I think they absolutely <laughs> are part of the story. What do you think the most useful metrics are for customer experience and why? So, I mean, as you alluded to there, there are so many CX metrics and, and the strengths and weaknesses do really vary depending on the brand using them as well. So a key thing to really think about as an organization is, is to really make sure you've got a clearly defined metric structure. So um, we sort of say that's the basis of any good CX program. So what I mean by that is sort of where, where you're using, where you're looking at metrics, for example, to, to track performance within CX mm -hmm. programs, they sit across three different levels. So so they'll break down as key customer metrics, so as you know, providing that overarching basis for really understanding how consumers, um, how, sorry, how customers perceive their interactions with and, mm. and that brand. And then more importantly, the impact of their behaviours as well. So be that based on single interactions or across the whole relationship. And the metrics that, that really sort of most commonly use there are NPS, as we, as we know, um, CSAT and CES. So all, all metrics we're all, we're all really familiar with. But but where brands really think of and think that they should be is, is having that key customer metric and that being that being the one that they focus everything on. And actually, there's two layers down from that. So then there's really importantly the top line metrics. So these are the ones that help you understand, you know, key outcomes, for example, of interaction or even relationship as well, which is really important. And then where the customers got what they wanted from that brand um, and when you think about that it's really interesting to think is that both rationally and emotionally you know that and that's a really key area so the examples of those sort of metrics that we commonly recommend and as I said we recommend our client has have you know one and then you know two uh, two probably top line metrics as part of that as well and that'll be um, things like emotional outcome preference purchase retention um, yeah, so they're the sort of, as I would say, those top line metrics, but then quite often people forget about the third layer, which is those operational metrics as mm. well. So the most granular level of detail, those oper operational metrics really provide insight into both the drivers of customer experience, as well as the indicators of its impact on customers. And, and that impact point, to your point earlier on, is so important. So these could be anything from, you know, financial metrics, closed loop metrics, general opera operational metrics that you have within the business. Um, yeah, so I think what probably I'm trying to allude to is the <laughs> fact that to ensure it's done in a structured way, a metric framework is absolutely necessary to help you get that consistency mm -hmm. um, but really you know make sure you've got a good idea so no more than two to four metrics um, and really try and stick to that typical one headline primary customer metric but don't mm -hmm. don't have it as, it, as its own <laughs> so let's dive a little bit further into those for anyone who's not familiar with the terms we're using so um, NPS net promoter score what is that all about 
So, I mean, net net score has been around for an awfully long time. Obviously, you know, likely to recommend, um, which you know I think is a is a good metric to use. And there's so many businesses and and sectors that use it, and it works really well. But I think where NPS sort of exploded is, you know, people thought it would work across everything, and it just really doesn't. There are organisations that you know it doesn't work across, and that that sort of question doesn't work. So mm-hmm. it's obviously the most widely used, as we've said earlier, and it. it it really does, I think, serve a good purpose. But for me, it just can't be that standalone metric. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I read some research about like the intention to do something differently doesn't actually necessarily translate to them doing anything differently. So recommendation is an example. It's an intention yeah. to do it. Does it actually, um, can you actually like track and measure whether or not it occurred as a result? Is there a way of... Um, crossing those data streams not to rely entirely on NPS but to actually actively track what behavior does change as a result of um, pulling levers in the customer experience for example yeah absolutely you know I think definitely you know making sure you've got a good suite of analytical tools um, you know internally and that you're using um, analytics to really understand that and drill down is really important and as I said you just can't rely on it as an overall score that drives everything and I've seen business I've seen organizations um, you know typically for example like utilities companies for example that you know it's their it's the one question they ask they might ask an open-ended question after that but but they're basing everything thing on that and and you know even down to frontline teams being incentivized on that which you know we see less of these days but but it's still quite prominent in terms of people being being incentivized on that score and then let's move to CES so customer effort score yes uh, for anyone who's not familiar uh, what are the advantages of using that as part of your suite of metrics I think it's well because it really asks customers, you know, how to the, the sort of rating um, of using products and services on a very difficult to, to sort of very easy scale. Mm-hmm. I think that's where there is a huge focus of actually being able to show that you've got that opportunity for customers to get to, you know, really understand the question in a bit more detail as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it really does ask questions, doesn't it? You know, of, of what they think of that products and service overall and very difficult, very easy. It's so, it's so easy to understand. Whereas when you think back to MPS, likelihood to recommend, okay, well, I'm not sure, would I recommend it? You know, it's not the same question. So it is very different. And, you know, widely customer effort score is something that we use with quite a lot of our with our clients on their programs um and it, it really does serve a good purpose mm-hmm. and they're very keen on that one in contact centers aren't they <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely and i think that that's sort of rightfully so it's definitely been a good metric for the contact centers and then customer satisfaction csat as it's known yes. um, i suppose that's quite obvious isn't it <laughs> how yeah. satisfied were you with this exactly. touch point moment of interaction product service element um, but you mentioned a word that some of our listeners might not be so familiar with that comes with satisfaction, which is the key drivers. Yes. And understanding that. How, how do you how do you understand <laughs> based on customer satisfaction, how important things are and, and the influence that they have over actual shopper, shopper not just shopper, customer behavior? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Really good question. And I, I think that, you know, obviously, again, it relates back to really like understanding what the relationship is between drivers and then customer behavior as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so like really drilling down into that a bit more detail. Um, and again, 
it just it doesn't work as a standalone metric that you know that's the point of all of these I don't think they were ever designed to be standalone metrics so you know connect data together and uh, you know we've got an awful lot of thought leadership on on how you should be bringing different data together whether that's operational data whether that's financial data you know when you when you do that you can really got the opportunity to create that sort of single source customer view that's really important Mm -hmm. just thinking back to my days in business running customer experience programs um i i think metrics were always i say from from the from the insights perspective it was something that i'd use as an input to shaping the cx design process so what data and information did we had have that could tell us perhaps where there was an issue or, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, looking at kind of complaints in key areas. Um, but when it came to proving return on investment, when mm. we changed something, for me, it was about being able to take a whole heap of metrics and put measures in place and track them as the new initiative launched and then yes. having benchmark comparisons to, to stores this is back in my retail days where we hadn't done the same thing so we'd look for like basically a, um, a mirror image business that we could compare if we did this customer experience initiative compared to the other one what's the difference and we tracked all the metrics and you could see a difference between um the same kind of performance traditionally the same kind of operational performance traditionally you could see there was a marked improvement um and then being able to relate that to the increase in sales and the decrease in costs of a store operation made it therefore really i say easy wasn't easy really clear <laughs> what the benefit of value and value was but i know a lot of people especially when i hit, see them talking on linkedin and having these conversations are really struggling because it seems like you have to prove the ROI of customer experience yeah. <laughs> as a thing. Yeah. Where does that come from? So <laughs> Well, do you know what? I mean, proving ROI is so essential. Look, it's something that that businesses do nowhere near enough. And it's something that that I think is key to securing CX budget as well. You know, if you don't prove the ROI of, of a CX program, then how are you going to get that budget and grow that budget, which you need to, to get closer to the customer? Um, so I think when you sort of think what customer what the role of customer experience is in organizations obviously it's you know it should be the lifeline of the business shouldn't it it should be the thing that helps businesses fail or succeed but but in order to really prove that roi then i think i think you need to think about analyzing which experience factors really sort of drive that biggest change and by that i'm thinking you know in customer sentiment for example more importantly which drives biggest change in key business outcomes you know mm -hmm. so uh, causes customers to spend less or or more or leave or stay mm -hmm. um, and that type of analysis is probably the thing that that can really drill down and prove ROI because it can look at things like operational performance which drives customer sentiment um, and then which metrics are used most as well and which are most important um, so yeah I think proving that ROI is difficult but if you use the right tools, you can you can put a financial value to it. And it is that simple, you know, really showing by and we've done some work with with an airline recently where we showed them, you know, just a small increase in MPS score gave them an, a, you know, a financial value in terms of how they managed to grow as a business. Um, and that's really that's really 
you know, that's really surprising. You know, you take that to the board, you take that to your chief financial officer and they're going to wake up and they're going to say, right, wow, you know, if we can cascade that across the business and get all of the employees bought into that and they can see just by their actions, what well, their small actions, what can happen in terms of, you know, financial success for the business. It's really powerful. So how did they track that? And so watching Net Promoter increase as they deployed initiatives and then tracking sales data or retention exactly data or? yeah and it was all done through existing data as well so it was all um through using analytics all through existing data which is great because then you know it's not something they had to do it was just through a level of analytics it gave them that better understanding of how experience um and expectations changes have impacted the customer really um so yeah it was really exciting and I think the more we're getting asked about that a lot more now. Organisations just want to show it in, in a truly simple value. And that is just by putting a pound sign to it. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating, though, because I guess when I was demonstrating the cost of bad experience, you could look at complaints, cost to serve those complaints. You could look at um, refunds and other data points that didn't necessarily cross into the realms of any of those that we've mentioned like CSAT or NPS or um, customer effort scores do you think perhaps that focusing on trying to prove the return on investment for a program as in like a measurement program might be part of the problem as opposed to return on investment of (laughs) actioning initiatives (laughs) Yeah, look, I mean, I think especially we've seen this year, budgets are obviously squeezed in every area of businesses. Um, and, you know, quite often we've seen that, the, you know, that CX falls into marketing budgets now, which have obviously been hugely squeezed this year. Um, so, yeah, I think there is an element of people saying, you know, what, what what's the what's the actual value of our transactional program, for example. Um, but when you when you put that value against it and you show them that the, that that small change can increase things, then I think it still proves it's worth within organizations yeah that's fair enough so what would you say the best way to engage and influence the c-suite is when it comes to data insight and metrics oh that's a great question <laughs> so i mean I, I do think it's it's sort of showing that roi um and really showing them w- what the value cx can bring so um i also think there's a huge area of making sure they understand as well, like as customer experience professionals and especially within organizations, it's our job to educate and really make sure they understand what it is because otherwise it's something that they they see, they don't really get, they don't really engage with. and actually, we've got a nice story of, of so we work with Nationwide, um, obviously, you know, building society, all about members, very customer centric. And th- their engagement from the C-suite is incredible because it comes from the CEO. So we went to a conference earlier this year, the only conference we managed to get to this year. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, the CEO was presenting and the first thing he flashed up on screen was the dashboard. And that dashboard showing all the customer feedback, you know, our dashboard um, that we, we've created, showing customer feedback. And and he said, I, I look at it as the first thing I do when I wake up. I look at it as the first thing I do, you know, when I get into the office, it's exactly what I'm looking at all the time. I want to 
to see what the customer feedback's doing. So by the CEO driving that culture, that think customer, customer centric culture that, that he's done through the business, it's engaged the whole of the C-suite because everyone's thinking, well, you know, the CEO is so, so passionate about it. You know, it's the first thing he does when he, when he gets out of bed. Um, then I, I think that's a key part of it. So really making sure you sort of get those, those senior stakeholders on board um, is really important. And quite often, I think that when when they you know when organizations say right we're going to put a cx program in place that's fantastic absolutely do that but actually just as important as getting the right software is how you engage your employees with it and you know it's got to land at the right time it's got to be launched correctly it's got to make sure it sort of creates traction within those few months otherwise it just becomes another system another process another mechanism of feedback and it gets lost unfortunately i agree with you on that um, so just to round this off then, what would you say your top tips would be for women in CX out there who want to turn those insights that they're already gathering into action? I think so. If I think about it, first of all, sort of from an agency side, um, it's about really knowing your client well um, and knowing their business well. So you know, you need to, you know, as their in-start strategic partner, uh, you need to really make recommendations that are appropriate to them um so the better you get to know your client and the more you can workshop with them and things like that um the better it is so yeah take time to get you know your client the you know their priorities what's keeping them up at night what will help you know that will help you identify other opportunities as well um which is great but obviously you know make sure as an agency you, you know you're really you really know them and you're being realistic with that as well so realistic in terms of driving action from insight you know you can't suggest something that that won't be possible for the business uh, you need to make sure you're realistic in that um and then I suppose, um, sort of last year, I would say, you know, as an organization, I'd say short term versus long term. So often think about what what recommendations you can do straight away and what other ones you need to build momentum for. You know, they're going to take longer to go from there. Mm. Uh, yeah. And then. I suppose the only other point I'd say on that is definitely nothing works in isolation. So um, as, as we alluded to earlier, you know, you need to connect data. You need to make sure you know more and more about your customers, get that single source customer view at, at a real individual level, which which really then does help you to sort of commercialize customer experience. Oh, and when you say single customer view what do you actually mean by that because I know a lot of people have different definitions <laughs> so so for us it's really about thinking well what what does that what does that customer want but what do we know from all different areas of the business so connecting brand data connecting um you know as I said financial data before employee data because obviously they're the, the they're the biggest source of knowledge on your customers so you know use uh, feedback from your employee program as well uh, but you know really create that one source understanding so that you know uh, you know from a personalized level what that what that customer expects and what they want and obviously you can segment those and all those things um but you know try and create that one single source of view instead of having all these multiple programs running and no idea of what connects everything together and what it actually means for the customer and do you think that happens through crm yeah so um i think 
I think potentially you know, some of that will come through CRM. Some of it will come through analytics. I said earlier on, some of it comes of just making sure your agencies are joined up as well. So mm -hmm. making sure your agencies are working together. I really interestingly this week, I presented to one of our clients and I presented with another agency and I just, and although we used to do that an awful lot, I don't think clients you know ask for that or expect that quite as much as they should. So get your agencies working together better and make sure that they, you know, they really are running those programs together and that you, you know you're using findings and insights from both mm -hmm. just my final thought on that was I always remember the holy grail for retail was this single customer view yeah. but to that to retail it meant you know, being able to move from having one kind of targeted marketing communication conversation with the masses to the next step which would be segmenting those masses and having conversations with them depending on what they bought and their preferences that, that these data kind of sets and systems would be collecting over time but I remember what we were aiming for was this one-to-one -one conversation so who you are what you buy your behavior would be understood at a data and analytics level so well you could be targeted with relevance in terms of promotion in terms of personalized websites for example <laughs> um, how far do you think we are off that <laughs> oh I think we're a little way to be honest I, I think there's still more to be done and look you know things like the rising AI and things like that you know we will get there um and obviously this year we've seen you know a huge sort of surge to digital haven't we um sort of faster than anyone would have ex expected in in the next five years probably um so look I, I don't think we're miles off but but we still have a way to go and I think a lot of that is really about thinking about your data strategy like thinking about your data strategy and thinking i'm going to maximize what data i've got what data my partners have got um and then you know then i've got more of ability to create that single source customer view super duper all right then well thanks ever so much it was fun to have a challenging debate about our differing viewpoints on <laughs> insight and metrics it's been really helpful i'm sure for the audience to learn a little bit more about what some of those terms means and the differences in how you can apply them in order to drive action so I'd just like to say thank you ever so much for joining us on the show today and i hope you have a very merry christmas thanks claire you too <laughs> take care bye everyone take care bye, bye. Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're watching or listening on. And if you want to know more, please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next week where I'll be talking about employee experience with a woman who spent 10 years traveling the world, taking care of employees who are creating magical experiences for guests at Cirque du Soleil. See you all next week.